You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. Thank you very much, team, for leading us in those songs and prepare our hearts uh, to hear from God's word and, yeah, talk about all the good things that Christ is and has done for us. My name is Dustin. I'm one of the volunteer pastors here at Calvary. It's my pleasure to bring to you the word of God this morning. Um, it can be found in page 865 in the Bibles provided. We're looking at Matthew 11. 28 to 30. Matthew 11, 28 to 30, page 865. And if you don't have your own Bible yet, just take one of the church ones home. It can be yours. And I hope you read it. And I hope you find this Jesus that we're going to talk about this morning to be the delight of your soul and your salvation and your good Lord. Um. I've just got it up on the screen in the ESV translation because I just like the wording a little bit better. So it's, it's the same thing. Um, I just like the words the ESV chose. Um, we're basically just going to roll through this passage verse, uh, section by section. You might remember something about this from before Christmas, gentle and lowly. Mark talked about our gentle and lowly king. Uh, but both Peter and Paul the apostles, tell us that reminders are good for the church. We have holes. We leak stuff out. We forget. Reminders are good. And a lot of preaching, really, is just reminding. Let's pray, and then we'll, then we'll get into gentle and lowly. God, we come before you this morning in the name of your Son, by the power of your Holy Spirit, to feast on Christ. We want to worship him together. We want to encourage each other more and more as we see his day approaching so we can walk as we ought to walk. And most of all, this morning, God, I just want to pray that we would enjoy Jesus more, that we'd appreciate him more after hearing from his own mouth of his heart concerning us. So I pray that. I pray for if anybody's here exploring Christianity, not a Christian yet, I pray for them, God, that they would come to Jesus. I pray for anybody who is in Christ but slipping away, getting sloppy, it's been a while, backsliding a bit maybe. Well, they should come to Jesus too. I pray they would this morning. And I pray for believers who are walking with you, who are trying to trudge out that path to the finish line till we get to your celestial city. Well, I just pray that this would be an encouragement for them also to come to Jesus. We all have different reasons we need or should come to you. So I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be filling in the blanks. I'm just a guy. I need you to talk in, you know, 120 different ways this morning to each heart here. Pray you would. Amen. What's the heart of the heart of God? How would you answer that? How would you describe the most central component of what it is to be God? What's Jesus like? Not just who do you say he is, but what is he? 
what is the most prominent characteristic of Jesus? I'm just going to read a little portion from this book, Gentle and Lowly. The elders were working through this book. This is from the beginning. And this is where a lot of this sermon comes from. Just in one place, perhaps the most wonderful words ever uttered by human lips, do we hear Jesus himself opening up to us about his very heart. And here's our passage. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In the one place in the Bible where the Son of God pulls back the veil and lets us peer way down into the core of who he is, we're not told that he is austere and demanding in heart. We're not told that he's exalted and dignified in heart. We're not even told that he's joyful and generous in heart. Letting Jesus set the terms, his surprising claim is that he is gentle and lowly in heart. One thing to get straight right from the start that when, we, when the Bible speaks of the heart, whether it's the Old Testament or the New, it's not speaking about just our emotional life only, but the central animating center of all that we are and all that we do. It's what gets us out of bed in the morning, the heart. It's what we daydream of as we drift off to sleep. It's our motivation headquarters. The heart, in biblical terms, is not part of who we are. It's the center of who we are. Our heart is what defines and directs us. That's why Solomon tells us to keep our hearts with all vigilance, for from it flows the streams of life. The heart is a matter of life. It's what makes us the human being each of us is. The heart drives all we do. The heart is who we are. And so when Jesus tells us what animates him most deeply, what is most true of him, when he exposes the innermost recesses of his being, what we find there is gentle and lowly. Who could have ever thought up such a savior? So in the verses we're going to look at today, Jesus tells us to learn from him. We want to learn from him. That's what it means to be a disciple. If you're a disciple of Christ, he's the teacher, you're the disciple or the learner. So learn from him as an example to follow? Yeah. Learn from his wisdom? Mm-hmm. Learn from his manner of life? For sure. But even more so, and what I want to explore with you today, is to learn from him of him. Learn from him of his heart. Learn from his own mouth what he speaks regarding himself and regarding you. So let's plunge ourselves into the ocean of Christ's heart for sinners and sufferers. So the first thing we come to in our passage, the first phrase, come to me. This is a cry of command. It's not just an, it's not just an invite. It's a command. Come to me. And it's a, it's a command of immediacy. Come to me now. Come here. Come now. Don't delay. Don't hesitate. Don't make yourself ready. Don't make yourself better. Just come. It's a wide open plea. It's a boundless summons. It goes out to all people of all time. It goes out to you and to everybody you know. It's fully inclusive. It's for everyone. It doesn't have a capacity limit. It has no restrictions on how often it is to be used. Come to me. 
Jesus says. Come now for the first time, maybe. Come to Jesus if you never have come. Come now and continually. Come to Jesus time and time again. Come daily. Come often. He will not tire of you coming to him. You, you might actually at times tire of going to him, but he'll never tire of receiving you. You may feel that your sin is keeping you from him, that it's keeping you separate, but that's the very reason you need to come to him. His beating heart for his suffering people is as vast as the offer itself. So learn from him and come. Well, who should come? Well, really, everybody should come. Everybody should. It says all of you. Come to me, all of you. Everyone should come. Everyone's welcome to come. Everyone is invited to come. And it's only right that everybody would come. However, the Bible also tells us most will not come. Why would someone come if life isn't wearisome and if sin is pleasure instead of pain? So who will come? Well, the text continues, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Every one of you who are wearied by life in this hostile world. All of you who are weighed down by your sufferings. Every one of you who's worn out from trials. You should come to Jesus. Are you burdened by the weight of your sin? Are you crushed by the sense of your own guilt before God? Do the talons of some besetting sin tear at your flesh and choke out your life? Then you should come to Jesus. Have the effects of sin taken years off your life? Are you sick of this world and sick of self-destruction and sick of yourself altogether? Then you're beckoned to come to Jesus. Are you weary of trying to please God on your own? Are you burdened by the lie of self-righteousness? Are you exhausted and fed up with your pride and your need to assert yourself? Then you should come to Jesus. Are you a weary and burdened unbeliever this morning? You, you aren't a Christian. You don't say that you're a Christian, but you're exploring it, or someone has invited you, something like that. Well, I'd ask you, are you, are you done yet with laboring to make your own way to God? Have you reached a rock bottom yet? Are you heavy laden with trying to outweigh your bad with your good? Well, Jesus calls you to just come to him. Are you a weary and burdened believer? Are you done yet with trying to put to death the deeds of your flesh by yourself in your own strength? Are you heavy laden with unforgiveness toward another believer or another person? Do you strain under the weight of what you perceive to be the frown of God upon your life? Are you weary of wallowing in the mire of apathy? You just can't get going. Is your remaining sin and your coolness toward God pushing you down into the depths? Well, oh brother and my sister, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and you'll find rest. And does not a worker desire rest? Isn't that the object of our aching souls? Unbeliever, don't you want to rest from your useless works? They're useless before God without faith. The Bible says that. 
And believer, don't you want to rest from the felt need of pleasing God? Then come to Jesus. Unbeliever, Jesus has a whole life of perfect works just ready to credit to your account. And believer, you're in Christ, who is the most accepted being in the whole universe before God. So stop working to please God, but rather work in God's field because you love him and you just want to do what you see your heavenly father doing. If you come to Jesus, he says he will give. He didn't say, I might give, or one day down the road I'll give, or you meet my expectations, then I'll give. No, will give. You come, I give, that's the deal. You bring the weariness of labor and the burden of being heavy laden, and he'll give you rest. You pay in the currency of fruitless toil and and crushing expectations. You bring all that to him, and he'll sell you the merchandise of rest. He only deals in that currency. He will not accept your achievements, your perfect church attendance, your most self-denying penance, or your false humility. You want rest? Then bring him your exhaustion. This is the ultimate trade-up. What kind of rest does he have to give? What rest is Jesus talking about? Is it just, you know, inactivity, just sitting around, doing nothing? Is it the ceasing of all toil under the sun? Is it health, wealth, prosperity? It's not as cheap as that. that that's the world's idea of rest. Jesus' rest allows his people to attain their highest end and secure eternal blessedness for themselves. It's a rest uh, in the soul and of the soul. It's a rest where it's possible for it to be untouched or unaffected by circumstance or by outcome. It's the rest of knowing you're acceptable to a thrice holy God through his son Jesus. It's rest. It's the rest of being restored to true humanity. Because a true man is a man in Christ. And a true woman is a woman in Christ. It's the rest of working in another's strength. Because he gives his spirit to his people without measure. It's the rest of leaning on his everlasting arms as he carries his lambs on his shoulders. It's the rest that you most need and the rest that is most specific to you. That's what's waiting for you as you come to Jesus, and it's new every morning. I wonder what your reaction is to what we've seen and heard so far. What sort of thoughts are swirling around in your head? Are there contradictions being raised or doubts? I know when I first started reading this book, I was like, I don't know, and I was bucking against it. Well, to these, Jesus says, learn from me. Don't, don't trust your inclinations. Learn from him. Don't go off of hearsay. That's what this person said or that person say it, said. Listen to what he says about himself. Don't assume things about his eternal heart. Listen and learn, disciple. Resist the urge to compare him to other lords that you've heard about or fathers or friends even. Sit at his feet and listen to him and learn what he says about himself. Okay, the first thing, as we keep rolling along, the first thing he reveals is that he's gentle. He is gentle in his dealings with his people. He's gentle to those who come to him with their burdens looking for relief. He's not a volcano 
ready to just burst at the first provocation. He's got a mild disposition toward his people, toward the repentant sinner and the worn-out sufferer. He's not harsh. He's not harsh when you come to him for the like 10,000th time about the same thing. He's not going to meet you with a backhand, but he'll gently restore you. As you come, you will find his to be a heart of unchanging, eternal gentleness toward you. Jesus Christ does not suffer from insecurity, thus acting out in a domineering way. Usually domineering people are just super insecure in themselves. Rather, Jesus is meek. Come to him and find that he isn't plagued with the need to promote himself. He knows he's the top and is secure, so he can focus his attention on his sheep. He's not self-interested, but you-interested. He's not occupied with self at all. He doesn't need to spend time or energy securing his place in the world. It's secure, the right hand of the Father, unassailable. Therefore, he can spend his time and his strength and his attention on his people, on his children. In the Bible, gentleness comes from, this is where it comes from, this gentleness that Jesus has, it comes from trust in God's goodness and control. So you have this peace and this gentleness about you. So on the flip side then, anger, impatience, harshness, they come from unbelief. Since Jesus fully trusts his Father's goodness and control, he is able to fully be gentle with his bride, with his church. Jesus wants you to learn from him that he is gentle with his own, with all those who come to him for rest. This is how he treats his people. And anybody who will come can be his people. But if you will not come, he warns you of the end of that arrogant path. In Acts 17.30, it says, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, this is the old days kind of, God now commands all people everywhere to repent. And to repent is simply to turn away from your sin, away from yourself, to God, through faith in his Son. Away from sin, to God. That's repentance. God commands that. Because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. And he has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. So God has set a day, and it's not going to budge an hour, in which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. All will be judged by Jesus and according to Jesus. And the judgment will look kind of like this. Did you come to Jesus or did you not come? Did you respond to his gentle and lowly heart or did you throw it away? Or worse still, did you trample it under your feet? You see, humanity's biggest problem, and we got lots of problems. You look around the world, we got lots of problems in every area of our life, in every area of society. But our biggest problem is actually that God is good. You might ask how the world is a good God, a problem for us. Well, it's because we're not good. The Bible says that all people are evil. So if you haven't yet come to Christ, if you're not clothed in his righteousness, you are evil because you're still in your sins rather than in Christ. And God is going to one day do away with all sin and causes of sin. 
That's just what a good God should do. It's not good that he lets sin run on forever, and so he won't. He is patient, and he's holding out his offer, but he's not going to do that forever. So come to him. Come and find rest for your soul and a warm welcome. I urge you to seek him now. You can know him as Savior. If you seek him too late, you'll just know him as judge. So come to him and prove his gentleness toward the brokenhearted. Before we move on, you must know that although he'll be gentle with you, he will be ruthless with your sin. Just as a father who rescues his son who trips into a campfire, he might not appear gentle in that rescue. So God is not gentle with the cancer of sin. He's not going to allow you to hold on to those things because he loves you and he knows they'll harm you. Some sin can be really excruciating to extract. Some surgeries are longer than others. Some sins require more immediate and drastic action. But don't mix this up. When God is attacking your sin, he isn't attacking you. He's freeing you. He's protecting and loving you. So trust your Father. Keep coming to Jesus. Jesus is gentle to you, but not to sin. We need to remember that. The second thing Jesus tells us is that he's lowly in his heart. The direct and most simplest definition of that means not rising far from the ground. It's like low to the ground is the definition. Jesus is low to the ground. He's at our level. We're earth dwellers. We walk around on the ground. Some three feet high, some six and a half feet high, but we're all pretty low to the ground when you think about it. So Jesus chose to come down to our level, to ground level, and he did this in his incarnation. When Jesus was born as a human, like actual baby boy, he was saying to us, God's here. God is near. God's approachable. God's relatable and experientially understands us. God becoming human as the man, Jesus of Nazareth, was him stooping down from his high and lofty place to walk amongst his people. To become lowly wasn't some duty or drudgery for him, but his greatest desire because he's lowly of heart. It's the yearning of his core to walk amongst his people. It's what flows most freely from him and is most natural for him to do. Because that's one of his names too, Emmanuel, God with us. He stooped at his first birthday and he still stoops today as our intercessor. He keeps his ear low to the ground to capture every prayer of his people and carry it to the Father. He walks amongst the churches and is present by his Holy Spirit when we gather in his name. He takes our worship and he presents it to God as a pleasing aroma to him, an acceptable offering. Or, if you like, you could just go right with him into the very throne room of God through prayer to receive grace and mercy in your time of need. He stoops low also as our high priest before the Father. In Hebrews it said, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. He wasn't like a high priest of like human religion, you know, 
untouchable, far removed, too exalted to associate with the lowly, with fancy clothes and fancy rituals and fancy notions of grandeur, too afraid to walk amongst the common folk for fear that he'll be defiled. Jesus is exalted above the heavens and associates with the lowly. He was made like us in every respect. He wasn't just God with skin on, but truly man. Truly hungry, truly tired, truly lonely, truly had to learn, truly had dirty diapers and a runny nose as a toddler, truly relied on the spirit, truly had to walk places, he didn't fly around, truly had a beard, truly did carpentry for 17 odd years, truly man, truly relatable. He didn't walk around with that halo on his head that you see in those medieval paintings. He's low to the ground, just like us, except without sin. There's been a big push in recent years to make Jesus more relevant to the current generation. Honestly, I think that's just dumb, because Jesus is the most relevant human being there ever has been and ever will be, because he knows what it is to be God, and he knows what it is to be human. That makes him relatable and relevant and approachable more than anyone else, ever. So don't make room for this lie in your head that Jesus doesn't really understand you, that he can't get you, he can't relate, he doesn't really know you. He knows experientially what it is to be you. He knows better than anyone. And his heart is wide open for you. So come to him, sister. Come to him, brother. Come to him, children. You must come. Why would you not come? He's right down on his knees with his arms open. Run into them. Run often and run hard into the lowly arms of Jesus. The last word here that we need to look at which ties gentle and lowly together is heart. He's gentle and lowly of heart. The heart is that center from which one's life flows. It's the seat of our emotions, our desires, Thoughts, intentions, passions, appetites, affections, purposes, and endeavors. So many things in our heart. It's the foundation upon which we each build our lives. It's the essence of who we are. It's the core of our very being. It is the wellspring, the headwaters of what somebody really is. The heart is you. Jesus tells us that his heart is gentle and lowly. That's who he most truly is. It isn't all he is, but it's who he most deeply is. From the headwaters of Jesus' unchanging, eternal heart flow two mighty rivers that every sinner and sufferer is welcome to come and drink fully of. And those rivers, of course, are the river gentle and the river lowly, and they often overflow their banks. God tells us in Psalm 78, 38, that he needs to stir up his wrath. It says, he restrained his anger often and did not stir up all his wrath. So he can stir up a little wrath or a lot of wrath, but it needs some stirring. Not so with his gentle, lowly heart. He needs only to direct the flow. He can't hold it back, nor does he want to. Gentle is what most naturally is coming from him. Lowly is how he is inclined. He's not reserved in his outpouring, 
lavish grace, as Ephesians tells us. It's not checked. It's not resentful. The storehouses of his heart cannot be diminished. God's people will not be able to use up God's heart faster than he can pour it out. His heart's not like so many well systems. You know, whether it's a dug well or a drilled well, it'll often be so many gallons a minute. And if you're low on your gallons a minute, well, don't leave that tap on. We're going to run the well dry. Don't, leave, don't have a shower and a load of laundry. Are you crazy? You're not watering the lawn, are you? Well, with Jesus, it's all taps, wide open, wash the clothes, wash your hair, have a shower, do the front lawn and the back lawn, or the pipes are going to burst. This is what Jesus says about himself. This is what we see when we look through the window into his heart. This is who he most truly is. This is what he wants his children to learn about him. This is the unchanging, eternal heart of Christ for sinners and sufferers. What about application? We always have application at the end of the sermon. Well, in one sense, that's a funny question. You know, how do I apply Jesus? What must I do about Jesus' heart? Well, you don't do Jesus' heart. You just bask in it. You just enjoy it. And in another sense, the application's obvious. He tells you himself. Come to him. That's the obvious application. Come to him. So come on, unbeliever. Come. Why would you hold out on a God like this? Why would you tell him, thank you very much. Thanks for your offer, but I'll, hold on. I'll handle this on my own. Why would you reject his offer of mercy? Why would you stay in the insanity of sin? Come to Jesus. And oh dear believers, chosen of the Father, loved before all time, object of the infinite affections of the eternal Godhead, come to Jesus. Come freely and come often. You can't overstay your welcome with him. So take full advantage. Don't come sparingly. Take full advantage of the access to God that Jesus has bought you with his own blood. All of you, come. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.